right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Derek Johnson here at Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Joined in studio today, Richie Boswell and David Conover. We're going to have Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World coming up with us in about 30 minutes from right now. The Home Run Derby was last night, and... It was quite the roller coaster of a broadcast. If you watched the Home Run Derby, you might have first flipped to ESPN and you might have quickly left ESPN because you had to run to the bathroom and puke because this thing was absolutely nauseating trying to watch. They had this two-screen setup where they had on one side of the screen the batter and it was just a view of like the batter from the pitcher's angle. The other side of the screen showed all the different hits. And normally in the home run derby, or at least in years past, they've had this this out system where you get 10 outs, right? Um, or even in, in more recent years, they've gone to the time system, but they've said you can't swing again or you can't have the next pitch until the previous ball lands. They switched that up this year, and they changed the rule. They said that, no, just rapid fire. Go, 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 which made for a very interesting, chaotic event. I'm sure if you were there, it made it even better. But for the TV broadcast, it kind of messed up the whole thing because the sensation you got, it wasn't just the split screen, and it wasn't just an odd score bug, and it wasn't just random numbers everywhere on the screen where you just didn't know where to look, and it felt like you were trying to watch a moving Excel spreadsheet. But it also gave that sensation of just a headache on the TV because on the right side of the screen, every time there would be the the ball hit, you would see its flight path, and then as it was about to land, they switched to the other ball because there was already another one in the air. And so they'd spend maybe a second, maybe a second and a half on each ball, and then it switched to another ball, and it looked almost like they kept jerking the camera around. It, It was awful. And I was to a point where I thought they had ruined the home run derby. Switched over to ESPN2, saw some people online saying, you know, it's a little bit better of a broadcast. It was the StatCast broadcast. Because when you had the format that it was, not only were you not getting a sense of any of the home runs, because you would see each one for a second while it was a a fly ball in the air. You wouldn't see where it landed. You wouldn't see the distance on it. It was just quick whiplash going between different camera angles. Uh, but also you weren't getting an appreciation of each home run. You weren't getting an appreciation of, wow, that one got hit 500 feet. I think it was like Trevor Story hit one like 520, and they didn't even mention it on the broadcast. And that wasn't the only thing not mentioned on the broadcast. Salvador Perez hit 28 home runs, um, unfortunately eliminated. He happened to face Pete Alonso. It was bracket style. Pete Alonso hit 35 home runs in that first matchup, which stunk for Salvi. Um, I, I think... He was partially helped because I, I think they started to maybe slow down a little. The umpire started coming out and telling the pitcher to like stop for maybe half a second before you throw it, and he was the group right before that. But even then, it was a phenomenal performance by Salvador Perez. It does make you feel better that Pete Alonso ended up winning it. 
so it's not like Pete Alonso lost in the second round and you just had a bad matchup if you're Salvi. Pete Alonso just deserved to win, and that was that. It was just unfortunate they played him early on. Um, I'll say this. A lot of people were upset with the ESPN coverage, not just for the camera stuff. Normally, it, it makes me kind of pull my hair out over this complex that some people have about no, talk about my team more. Talk about me more. Give me confirmation that I'm good, that I'm cool too. Like, you don't need that. But it's another thing when the entire run through your home run derby, which Salvador Perez, this was the case, is an interview of somebody else. It was an interview with Pete Alonso the entire time. So to ignore kind of his impressive feat was kind of insane. Um, but back to the ESPN2 broadcast. It was a StatCast broadcast. They were showing more of the stats. They were talking about more of the home runs. They gave the due credit to Salvador Perez. If you switched between the ESPN and the ESPN2, your life was made so much better. And then when you add on that after that group, the umpire, sometimes you could see him on the camera angle. It wasn't always. They were trying to kind of hide him. But every so often you'd see the umpire putting his hand up, like, stop for a second. Um, and between that and switching to the ESPN2 broadcast, which did a better job and didn't have as many jumpy uh cameramen or different camera angles by having to produce just I, I can't imagine trying to be a producer or the cameraman in that situation it wasn't their fault it was just the format of the game but once you switched over and then you hit the Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto matchup that was everything you wanted because for a second there I was watching this whole thing and thinking how on earth did you ruin an event where people just stand in the batter's box and hit the ball far. It is as simple as it gets, right? There's sprinting and track, who's faster, and there is hitting a baseball far. Who's going to hit it the furthest? Who's going to hit it far the most? It is a very simple event, one that lots of people love watching because it is just power in baseball at its purest. And they almost ruined that. But then once you got that matchup, once you switched the broadcast, it was everything you wanted. And you had Shohei Otani, Juan Soto, two young stars, two phenomenal players to watch, exciting guys, go to the overtime period. And then they tie again in the overtime period. And then Juan Soto wins on the swing off. He ended up obviously not being able to advance past that. Pete Alonso ends up winning it all. Pete Alonso, just an absolute savage in this event. Um, interestingly enough, he's still on like, making whatever rookie contract or whatever you call it in the MLB. He has won the back the home run derby back-to-back years now. He has made over $2 million in his two and a half seasons with the Mets because of the weird MLB salary structure. He's made $2 million for winning back-to-back home run derby. So he has basically doubled his salary. And a lot of people were like, why is he taking this so seriously? He seems so involved. That's why he has doubled his earnings from just the home run derby. But it, it was a really fun event. Overall, um, watching Trey Mancini go to the finals, a guy who dealt with having cancer and going through chemo treatments, and then he comes back to the MLB this year and is having a really good season, and then he does that in the home run derby, and then Pete Alonso has to kind of ruin that moment a little bit, but watching how he does it was just phenomenal. I mean, everything was like hitting off the scoreboard in left field. Um, so I, I loved the event. I, I don't know how much the... Uh, MLB All-Star Game, how enjoyable that'll be tonight. But we'll get to that a little bit later when we uh, get to Do We Give a Bleep. I also saw they need to bring this over um, because we have all these different events during MLB All-Star Week. We had the Futures Game on Sunday. You have the like celebrity 
all-star game or celebrity softball game that was after the home run derby. You had the home run derby last night as well. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, Richie. They have this video of, it's not even video, it's a live event. and I've just seen videos of it in, I don't know if it was Japan or Korea, um, where it's like a bunt derby. And they, they have it kind of set up. There's like a big target. And they have, it's, it's almost like a mix of shuffleboard or curling and bunting. And the players have to lay down bunts. And uh, again, it's kind of like that combination, whatever, shuffleboard, bo- bocce ball, like whatever you want to call it. I think they need to bring that over. Why? What why? do you mean why? It's entertaining. <laughs> it's so exciting. Do you like, okay, because the Olympics are coming up. And I think this is actually a winter Olympic thing. But do you like watching the uh, curling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm, that's that. See, that's it's just one of those. Okay, you know what? Okay, you sold me. All right, it was that simple. That was not a not you know, a I, at all. Yeah, actually, no. I I do like watching cur- ping pong, man. In the summer, mm. there's just certain things that I don't typically like watching. But man, <laughs> love ping pong and yes, curling. I don't know. I can just go up north here to Canada and watch it all the time. But apparently, during the Olympics, it's just my thing. So. Okay, like well, that. then you would like this because it's the same thing. You're just It's just with baseballs and bunting. So I would actually be all for this. Do they have brooms, they though? Over. Uh, no, are they like, it's just the baseball Are bat. they doing that little move no, you with don't their have hand? The, yeah, you don't have the secondary <laughs> guy to like grease up the, <laughs> grease up the target and help your baseball move along. But, yeah, I'd love to see that. Uh, the other story last night, Team USA apparently sucks at basketball. Um, they have lost two straight games. In the exhibitions, I think I saw they were like 50-something and two all-time in exhibition games before these last two losses, so they've already doubled their loss total. It is their first time losing back-to-back games. They lost to Nigeria. We mentioned that over the weekend. Yesterday, they lose to Australia, 91-83. to And there is a portion of this topic where you can sit there and say, yeah, but you got to understand, like some of these teams are a lot better than you'd think. Like Australia, you have some NBA players. You have Patty Mills and Joe Ingles and guys who have played together since they were teenagers. Same with Nigeria. And, you know, whether you have a guy like Jaleel Okafor, like basically is off the bench in that game or Precious Tachua, whoever, like you have good players on both these teams and they've been playing together for a long time. And there is that nuanced discussion out of this. But this is Team USA basketball. Like you. I don't understand. You have Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, you have Damian Lillard. Like, what else could you want? The fact that they've lost these games, I I don't really know. What do we do? Do we blow it up? Do we not care about this because it's just exhibition games? I don't know. Do we just stop playing basketball altogether? Do we fold it up and transition all the athletes to soccer? I don't know, man. I really don't know. That it was it was. A, I, I'm 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 trying. To put into words, man. I mean, I guess I'm so used to, I'm so used to back in like maybe ten years ago when we saw Kobe and LeBron, and you'd think with guys like Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant, you would show up and actually win. But I mean, honestly, man, you're, you're. I mean, Australia's not a bad team. I mean, and I was a little surprised with Nigeria, though. Honestly, I was like, Ugh. but. Look, even even the dream team had some issues early on in their little, you know, just trying to find some chemistry. Well, and who knows? Like the dream team, the 1992 one, they actually lost like a scrimmage to a team of college all stars. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe you chalk that up to this. Um, they're playing today against Argentina, who's usually pretty solid. I mean, if you lose that, it's going to be panic mode. I saw Sam Vecini of the Athletic uh, tweet this out, and it's a great point. 
all this is doing for him is just making the odds better to bet on Team USA at the Olympics. It's just going to make it a little more reasonable. But if this was like actually part of the Olympics with group play, back-to-back losses, their quest for gold would already be over. Yep. So there is some concern, but I, I'm not ready to like throw it up and say this is absolute panic mode. No. It's just it's it is a bit of a reminder that maybe some of these other countries are catching up to us to where we are. But I don't I, I just don't really buy into the fact that this is all of a sudden like these other countries are so much better. Because Joe Ingalls is one of the best players on Australia. And I get it. There is such a chemistry component of basketball that's played in here. And we'll talk more about this. I think we're going to get Fran Fraschilla on later in the week, which that's exciting. But if Joe Ingles is on the U.S. team, is he even cracking the rotation? I mean, probably not. So I guess we'll wait and see what happens today with Argentina. If they go on and win the gold, this is going to be a blip on the radar, and we're going to look back and say they just didn't care about the games. Or they were just kind of... uh, finding their tune early in the year. But right now, that is a huge thing. And I I said this yesterday. It's kind of a tough spot for Team USA in the Olympics because if you go out and you win, you dominate, you win the gold medal, everybody says you're supposed to. And everybody says, yeah, but this is kind of boring. We just beat everybody by 50 points. The flip side to this is when they lose, this is what happens. We talk about it ad nauseum over and over. It's a lose-lose situation. So I do kind of feel bad, sympathetic in that end, but... You can't lose to Australia and Nigeria back-to-back if you're Team USA. FM 1017-1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate going to join us in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, Kofi Coburn, the All-Big Ten player for Illinois, is announcing what he's going to do. He's in the transfer portal on Friday. Should KU try to be in the sweepstakes here? or Are they in the sweepstakes? I don't know. Let's talk about it next. Matt Tate joins us in about 10 or 15 minutes from right now. This is RCST. I'm Derek Johnson. You can find our best of RCST podcast, which is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash online, wherever you find your podcast, KLWN.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you can find it. Uh, with Richie Boswell, David Conover in studio here. One thing I want to talk about with Matt is kind of the potential long-term impact of a player like Kofi Coburn, if you were to choose a school like Kansas, doesn't mean Kansas specifically, but a situation like what Kansas has. Kansas is full up on scholarships, as we all know. They're not just full up on scholarships. They're over the scholarship allotment. That's because Mitch Lightfoot is obviously back and allowed to be over the scholarship allotment due to the COVID-19 rules. Now that NIL has passed, I wonder how creative you can get with this stuff. So Kofi Coburn took to Twitter today and announced that he's going to be making his decision on Friday. He was in the NBA draft process for a while. Some people kind of hypothesized he was going to stay in. Some hypothesized he was going to go overseas. In the end, he decided to come back and enter the transfer portal. He was absolutely awesome at Illinois, um, averaged just under 18 points per game, nine and a half rebounds, shot 65% from the field as a sophomore last year. Huge guy, seven foot, 285 pounds. He basically plays like Yudoka Azubuki did. And especially with his efficiency, just dunks everything, swallows up rebounds inside. He is not nearly as agile or as good of a defender as Doak was when Doak left after his senior year at Kansas, 
think more of Doak in his first couple of years, except probably more versatile in terms of Doak had a lot of injury woes. That hasn't necessarily plagued Kofi Coburn. Kofi might actually have more of an offensive repertoire than Doak did in his first couple of years, but think that kind of archetype of player, which, as we know for Kansas, worked out pretty well for the teams that had a healthy Doak. So, you think about going to get a guy. And I, I do wonder, like, if, you know, if Bill Self is wondering, man, why did I take on this guy or, or that guy at the beginning of the year? If I would have known Marcus Carr and Kofi Coburn would have been available right now, I'd love to have that scholarship open. But it's so tough because we're in July right now. Um, you're in, like, summer classes for some of the players. You have training going on. You have the players going to these, like, Washburn camps and stuff. It's tough to leave that scholarship open for so long if you're KU, especially when this is something Jesse Newell's pointed out to us. It seems like based on the roster build they're going for this year, they're going for a title right now. So anyway, Kofi Coburn, all Big Ten center for Illinois, enters the transfer portal. Immediately, um, a lot of people kind of hypothesized he was going to go to Kentucky because of the fact that uh, his former Illinois assistant is now at Kentucky. Illinois lost a lot of players, whether it was transfer portal or the assistant coaches. Obviously, um, said point guard left for the NBA draft. And so a lot of people just figured, oh, he's going to Kentucky. I wonder, like, if Kofi Coburn, I, I don't know this or anything. I'm just saying, if Kofi Coburn were to, like, approach KU and say, hey, I'm interested in coming there. What would KU say? Would KU come out and say, sorry, can't have you, we're out of scholarships? Or would they say, let's figure it out? Because for a guy who's an all-Big Ten center, averaging 17 and nine and a half, I would like to think you do the latter. Now, there are certain locker room things, and not that Kofi Coburn's bad in the locker room, more so from a standpoint of, if you bring on a guy like Kofi Coburn, what does that do to the morale of a David McCormick, for instance? What does that do to the morale of a Cam Martin who transferred over and was expecting minutes at the center position? Because if Kofi Coburn comes over, he probably starts over David McCormick. Or at the very least, it's like a timeshare between minutes. Both guys are getting 20, you know? And that doesn't leave any for Cam Martin unless he's playing the four. So there are questions how that would impact your team. And maybe those are enough questions for you to say, not worth it. Let's not worry about it. But the talent is so tantalizing that you at least consider, you at least go through the process of what you would have to do. Does that mean telling a guy, hey, you're not going to get play time. It might be in your best interest to go somewhere else. Does it involve working something around this new NIL bill? And that is what I'm most interested with with Matt Tate. It seems like it is only a matter of time before a school brings on a player as a walk-on and pays them enough with NIL, name, image, and likeness stuff, to basically be on scholarship. We know of stories of, of past KU basketball players who have been maybe recruited here, and all of a sudden their mom or dad ends up with a nice-paying office secretary job at some place where a local donor works. I mean, that's that's not new. That happens at co colleges all across the country. So who's to say somebody like that wouldn't just say, well, instead of this 70000 job I'll give your parent, I'll just use that $70,000 and pay you to 
come be a spokesperson for my business. It's going to cover your scholarship money. It's going to pay you some extra money. And now you don't even have to worry about being on scholarship. You're going to be a walk-on, but we basically bought ourselves an extra scholarship. I mean, there are enough big donors around the country at some of these big schools that there's no reason that couldn't happen. And even if it's not bringing on a player, I know the NCAA rules state that, well, you can't engage in an NIL topic with a player before he comes to your school. It's going to happen anyway under the table, but even if that's not the case, what if you told a player who's already on scholarship, you just told him, hey, why don't you transition to a walk-on? You know, you talk to a player who... um, guy who's going to get in-state tuition or something, you know, like an Ochai or Christian Brown. You tell them, hey, listen, why don't you convert to a walk-on? We'll get you an NIL deal. It's going to pay for all the tuition money anyway, so it's going to be no different to you than if you were on scholarship, and you're going to get a little extra bank out of it, a little extra money for your troubles, and it's going to open up another scholarship for us, and we can go out and get a guy like Kofi Coburn. I mean, Richie, you're You've spent a lot of time in Austin. Tell me if you do not think that will not happen with a big University of Texas booster, whether it's basketball, probably more likely football at Texas. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's bound to happen, yep, right? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It, and at Texas, money talks. So, I'm, you know, I, I hear you. No, that, that is totally right. So, um, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where I think at uh, – you know, and especially and just to amplify it even more, you know, in it, it, you lose your job at Texas doing, you know, you, you got it. So, I mean, pretty speechless there. So, again, it's been a while, but I, I, I know I've been around in, in Texas is just, you know, they're kind of like the, the Yankees, you know, so it's just one of those things. And so I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, in football, maybe it is a little bit different because at the end of the day, there's, I forget what it is, 85 scholarships that you can have on your yep. team. So do you really need the 86? Like, is, is it that big of a difference? But maybe in a specific year where, you know, you already have your 25 scholarships for your high school kids because that's the max you can get. You say, well, there's a 26th guy that we really want in this class. He wants to come here. We didn't think we were going to get him, and now we're full up on scholarships. Maybe that's the situation. But I think it affects basketball more. When you only have 13 scholarships, it's a bigger deal. And whether it happens at Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or North Carolina, any of the Blue Bloods or a UCLA or even a smaller school, it might happen at some point. In fact, I feel very confident that at some point it will happen. Doesn't mean it's going to happen this year. People are still kind of tiptoeing, trying to figure out the NIL stuff. At some point, somebody is going to work around this. And maybe there are questions there about why would a player do that? You know, for Kofi Coburn, do you really want to come to Kansas where, yeah, maybe you end up starting over Dave? Maybe not. But even if you do, you're not getting all of the minutes, right? With David McCormick, an all-Big 12 guy, you might be in a 20-20-minute timeshare. Now, maybe that's all you want. Maybe you just want to be on a team who's going to be in the national title conversation who you've seen put a guy like yourself, like Kofi Coburn. We mentioned the Udoka Azubuki comp, and Doak was playing 22, 25, 28 minutes in a given game and was ended up being a first-round draft pick. Maybe that's all you want. But if you're worried about, well, I need this many shots, I need this many minutes— it's not the good option because then you're on a team now with if 
you're basically having an extra scholarship. Now you have 14 scholarship players. So good luck competing with that. So I'm very interested on kind of the repercussions of this whole thing. And I don't know if KU is actually in on Kofi Coburn. I did see the thing that they were in on Marcus Carr, but that was before Ochai Baji came back and basically filled up your scholarships. But who's to say KU couldn't do to both? KU couldn't go out there and say, we're going to basically buy an extra scholarship for both players, for Marcus Carr and Kofi Coburn. And taking it further, if the NCAA stuff comes down and KU gets in trouble from that punishment and the NCAA says, you're going to lose two scholarships for the next two years, who cares? Because now you can buy them. It's a very interesting dichotomy, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, coming up on the other side. I'm Derek Johnson with Richie Boswell, David Conover in studio here on RCST. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless watching. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk as we continue along with our previews of all of KU football's opponents. Who knows how much of it will end up being positive for KU with just the one on the over-under win total. But uh, KU's second opponent, another Friday night game, which they're doing for the first two weeks of the season against Coastal Carolina. They're going on the road down to Coastal Carolina and it should be a team who is pretty good. Again, as mentioned, 19 of 22 starters back for this team. I would imagine they're going to be preseason ranked in the top 25. We're joined now by Joe Cashin, the voice of the Chanticleers. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining us today. What are kind of the expectations for the team here coming off such a great season in 2020? Well, thanks for having me on. I think you kind of outlined a little bit of that. You know, A top 25 ranking, hopefully preseason going in. A lot of guys back, a lot of these super seniors, you know, they got that extra year of eligibility, so we'll have those guys back. And, you know, I, it will be interesting to see kind of where we're ranked next week. We have the Sunbelt Conference Media Day down in New Orleans, and it'll be interesting to see where, you know, where they rank us in the, in the Sunbelt East and then overall. I mean, a lot of people like Louisiana overall in the Sunbelt, but yeah, we beat them last year and we beat everybody in the conference. So a lot of excitement, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys back off of an 11 win year. <laughs> Don't think anybody really saw that coming, except our people. So we're uh, we're really excited. Can't wait to get this thing going. And Grayson McCall comes back for another year at quarterback. I remember last year when KU played Coastal Carolina in the opener. There was talk about, well, what is Coastal Carolina going to do at quarterback? Which that's a conversation we have here in Lawrence, seemingly every year. 
And certainly Grayson McCall just kind of came in. He was the guy without the experience in that quarterback uh, kind of controversy or whatever it was for the Chanticleers. And he just took it by the horns from that point on. What are kind of the thoughts of Grayson McCall heading into year two? Hopefully he can maintain the level of play that he was able to establish last season. You know, and you're right because going into Lawrence last year, it was, you know, Fred Payton's job, or at least everyone thought it was going to be that way. Coming out of spring, our coaches really liked Grayson and what he brought to the table. And as we got closer to, to kick off, and as we kind of wondered whether we were even going to play a game or not, and this game was really you know, to have been in Conway last year, but then we wound up coming out there. It became apparent that Grayson was going to be the guy to start the game, and he got into that game and you know just got into a comfort zone and felt really comfortable out there. And he made some throws that you know my my analyst and I we kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Wow, did you see that?" You know. And then, <laughs> Some of the runs that he made, the plays that he was he was able to make, all the right decisions, and hopefully, you know, he'll be able to he'll be able to continue that this year. CJ Marable uh, was the starting running back, and he was so good against Kansas both years that Coastal Carolina took down the Jayhawks. He's gone now. Um, so, how do the Shants go about replacing him? We'll have several guys to start with. I think Reese White will be. A guy that, uh, that that we'll look at. He, he had a pretty good season, almost 500 yards rushing and six touchdowns. He's a good running back. Uh, Shamari Jones is kind of a more of a power kind of guy. He kind of came on uh, towards towards the end of the year. He's a, he's a good running back. C.J. Beasley is a guy that really didn't get a lot of carries last year, but he's out of Virginia, and our coaches really seem to think a lot about him. Uh, Blake Bennett's a really good one. Uh, he's also a young kid. He had a long run against Arkansas State for a touchdown. So we've got some depth there at running back. And it may be running back by committee until somebody either steps forward or we just play better that way. You know, who knows how it's all, how it's all going to shake out. Yeah, but certainly replacing C.J. Marable, a guy who had a, a tremendous coastal career. We're not going to do that in one game or two. But you know, hopefully as the season goes on, we'll find some guys who really nail down that spot. The offensive line I, I found so interesting last year when – you always think about well, there's there's certain schools that they'll just take on a six foot three, six foot four, two hundred forty pound kid in the recruiting cycle and just hope they can add weight to him and hope it works out. But Coastal had some guys who were maybe undersized, the five foot ten, two eighty or whatever at center, and it just made me wonder if that was kind of a shifting recruiting strategy that some schools are going to use now with the success that Coastal had. But as regard as the Chanticleers for 2021, with all five starters back on the offensive line and some guys back for an extra year with, with COVID, would you say that is the biggest strength on the offense for this team? I would say so. Either that or you know, certainly our quarterback. One of, them, you know, one of those guys are or Isaiah Likely, our tight end slash wide receiver kind of guy. Our offensive line really played well. Coach Dirk, Bill Dirk, and our offensive line coach, he just did a tremendous job. They called themselves the Mighty Mites because, you know, as you alluded to, we've got a 5'9 center, which you don't see at the FBS level an awful lot, and Sammy Thompson, but he had a heck of a year. You know, our, our left guard, Willie Lampkin, was a terrific football player, all-conference kind of kid. He's, what, maybe six foot tall, you know? And then uh, you know, our, our tackles maybe go about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, at the most. Trey Carter, probably our best lineman up there. Right guard, he's all about 6'1". So, you know, it, it, it could signal, you know, perhaps a shift. But I also kind of think maybe the offense that we run, it, it maybe helps us to be maybe just a little bit smaller. And I have the, your, your prototypical FBS 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guys going across there. But, uh, you know, these guys really got it done. And it is great 
you know, to have all of them back. You know, Antoine Loper and Stephen Badosky are tackles. I didn't mention those guys. Those those guys did a tremendous job too, and uh, it's, it's really helpful to have all those guys back. And then we have some guys coming kind of behind them too, depth wise, that uh, that may see some playing time as well. We're talking with Joe Cashin, the voice of Coastal Carolina here on RCST. Defensively, 10 of 11 starters back, so not much different than the offense. The one guy missing is Teron Jackson, uh, Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year. How, how does the team go about replacing him on that end of the ball? Well, it won't be overnight, kind of like the running back spot. Teron had an absolutely outstanding career. I mean, he essentially rewrote our defensive line record book with tackles for loss and hurries and sacks and that sort of thing. Just a tremendous young man. Probably better off the field than he is on it. I'm so happy for him. But you know, He got drafted by the Eagles and he, he's going to go on. I think he's going to have a great career. But we've got a kid from Georgia Tech who came in as a transfer. A kid named Manny Johnson that they really seem to like. That, that defensive end five technique spot. So he's going to get a first chance there. And you know, Then of course across the way we've got everybody else back. You know, C.J. Brewer named an Athlon's all-America today, you know, in there at the defensive line, and uh, he, he's a tremendous player, too. Jeff Gunner is one that's really going to be a guy that I think can get drafted at our, at our bandit position. He's, he just he comes off that edge sometimes so fast, and he had that tremendous interception at Kansas last year, jumped up in the passing lane, batted that ball up, and, and picked it off, you know, at 6'4 and 260, so now he's going to be a good one. We have the Jordan Strong back. At cornerback, he was a newcomer of the year in the league, an all-conference, first-team all-conference kind of guy, five interceptions, and that was third in FBS. So, you know, we, we've got talent, and, it's you know, if can we stay healthy, can our guys stay upright, I think, we'll, I think we have the potential to be a better defense this year than we were last year. And that's saying something because that defense was pretty fierce a season ago. Uh, if you had to pick a position unit that – you would say is is maybe the strength of that defense is there one that sticks out in your mind or is it too tough to choose with all those guys back well that's that's too tough to choose i tell you what i I like our linebacking core you know i really do across there those those four guys you know enoch mcconzo is our spur kind of guy you know he he really kind of had a standout game there in kansas in in the opener last year teddy gallagher and then silas kelly those guys in the middle of then Jeff Gunner over on the, at, at that bandit spot. I really like that. I like that position group a lot. And even though it's really hard because <laughs> we got those guys across the across the board on that side, I, I really like those linebackers and, and our spur and bandit guys. I'm always interested from a perspective of a team like Coastal who they've beaten Kansas the last two years. And obviously last year saw them just absolutely dominate in the first half when they got up 28-3. to Kansas works their way back. Eventually Coastal wins 38-23. Year before, uh, Coastal maybe even a bigger upset that year because it was maybe less on the radar. Um, they have the Jayhawk pinata in the locker room where it's obviously a big game and a big deal when you go on the road and you beat a Big 12 opponent. But this time, now that Coastal has these high, lofty expectations and that you've beaten Kansas already twice, is there as much talk around town of being able to, you know, even if it is a Kansas who is at the bottom of the Big 12, playing a Power 5 opponent? Does that register at all, or is there kind of bigger fish, fish to fry? Uh, you know, Kansas is our only Power 5 opponent on the schedule, and they're coming to us, and that's the first Power 5 that we've ever had in Conway. So I, I think there are a lot of people excited about that prospect regardless quite frankly, of what Kansas has done recently, it will still resonate. You know, if we're able to get that win, it would resonate with our fans. It would resonate, you know, in our community and in our state to get, you know, to get a win of that magnitude. And, you know, Kansas has a you know, new coach in last line poll. There's no telling. You know, this is going to be a different 
a different situation, I think. I, I think I'm really impressed with what he did at Buffalo. And it, it, it's kind of interesting because we play Buffalo <laughs> right after we play <laughs> Kansas. And so it's kind of how, how it kind of affects us a little bit. But I think absolutely, I, I'm still very excited about this game. I mean, Kansas still has talent. They still have talented football players. And like I said, they've got a new head coach and a new staff and probably a new attitude and a new way. So even if, you know, even if they haven't had a whole lot of success lately on September 10th, on that Friday night, as you mentioned at the outset, if we can get that win, there will be a lot of people in teal and bronze and black excited about that. Yep, a lot of people here excited about Lance Leipold. Well, that is Joe Cashin. You'll be able to hear him on the call. He'll be the home announcer on the radio for the Chanticleers when they take on KU on September 10th. Some Friday Night Football, nothing wrong with that. Joe, thank you so much for the time, and uh, maybe talk to you down the road as we get closer to game time. All right, sounds good. Give me a shot anytime. Love to talk some coastal football. Love it. That is Joe Cashin, voice of the Chanticleers, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320, KLWN. Depend on it.